0: I'm on right now. I don't believe you.
1: That's not six.
0: One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy.
1: Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No. Come on. Don't be crazy.
2: Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast. Here we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. And here we have the co-host of the Don't Be Crazy podcast. I think it's safe enough to say that about now because you've been on so many episodes and we kind of just, here's me giving you your medal. Miss Amanda <laughs> Jane Stern, how are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to to do what we are terming Noir um, We Vember. We're not starting with a proper noir, which... You know, no. maybe as the history film buff I am, we should have, but we're we're going two genres ahead with the erotic thrillers, and I'm all here for that. So I'm I'm ready. Uh it's this is this is a movie alright. <laughs> I mean,
2: Amanda, it's on the Criterion channel, okay? It's 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 definitely uh is Criterion it? No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, far from it.
0: <laughs> we Peter and I actually we were on set together last weekend. Um staying over in the same airbnb so we watched it together Mm -hmm. on tubi
2: (laughs) tubi okay well then let's let's introduce peter so peter hello welcome to the don't be crazy podcast can you introduce yourself to the guests and give us a little bit of your background who you are where you're from how'd you get into film all that kind of fun stuff
1: i i certainly can thanks so much for having me zach and amanda Uh, my name is peter stray Um, I am from Swansea in Wales in the UK. I'm a proud Welshman. I don't sound Welsh because my parents are English, so there's I'm a kind of a bit of a crossbreed. Um, I trained as an actor at the uh, Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London, uh, but I was always a huge film geek and interested in in making movies and um, I was, you know, lucky enough to to grow up in an era where, you know, in the 90s where uh, where films were sort of being analysed a bit more and there were more sort of making of documentaries on BBC2 because of, I think, Reservoir Dogs was the first screenplay that was, I think, published as a book by Faber and Faber. And so then um, screenplays were sort of readable by the public as opposed to it being this sort of secret thing that were just passed among producers. And so then reading the screenplays to Reservoir Dogs and other films um, it was then like, oh, this is a job. Someone does this. Someone writes the words that actors say, and so I started getting really into to doing that. In addition to acting, so you know, cut to now, I'm I'm still acting, but I'm I'm also uh, you know paid to to screenwrite as well as writing my own projects, and I I direct as well, and I've made one feature film called Canaries, um, which did a nice round in the festivals, won uh, some awards, and um, is now available. Uh, to stream. Um, but in this country, it's available to stream under the U.S. distribution title of Alien Party Crashers. So um, so please, you know, whether if you're listening uh, elsewhere in the world, you can look up Canaries. And if you're listening uh, in the U.S., then um, Alien Party Crashers is available to stream.
0: I can literally never remember the U.S. name. I, I just think of it as canaries. And I'm like, alien yeah. something, alien stuff.
1: It's so funny because the, the US distributor said, listen, Peter, American people are stupid. We need to be told exactly <laughs> what we're getting. It, it can't be canaries or something already like that. It's got to be alien something. And I thought to myself, American people are not stupid. You know, this is ridiculous. And sure yes, enough, you know, it's it's like if, if, if it's alien something, there's a million alien something movies. And so I just thought I added Party crashes. That was my suggestion because I thought at least I can make it sound Grindhouse. Um, yeah, there's
0: only one canaries. There is a movie called Canary Singular. Yeah, but yours uh, is the only plural.
1: And and there's a movie called Wild Canaries, which I think is a sort of a uh, some sort of thriller set in Williamsburg, like a hipster thriller. Oh, um, but that's great. about it. Yeah. So it's I really do awesome see it set. on Tubi.
2: So yeah. I, I'm going to have to add it to my list because I Leo. love that Tubi. So, and it, it does yeah. come up under Alien Party Crashers in Tubi. But IMDb is Canaries.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's basically it's tonally similar to Shaun of the Dead or Attack the Block or Cabin in the Woods. You know, the Lost Boys, those were all influences. And um it's just sort of, you know, it's hopefully it's a decent first effort. You know, I've got some nice actors in there from Game of Thrones and Torchwood and... You know, it's hopefully a nice little, little geeky slice of um, fun sci-fi.
2: Yeah, it looks cool. I'm, I'm all about that kind of weird sci-fi horror comedy, whatever you have it, whatever you want to call it. Insert adjective for genre. So <laughs> yeah, that looks great. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here um, you. because we again, we're going to talk about this. This world renowned Academy Award winning film, uh, uh y- available on 4K Blu ray everywhere. Uh, Body of Evidence from 1992. And of course, I'm joking, it's, it's not available anywhere other than Tubi. And Tubi's a great uh, resource, but um, this, this movie's lucky to be on Tubi, I'll put it that way. <laughs> so, um, it was directed by Uli Adele uh he is a german german bloke i don't really know he didn't have i mean he has a resume but it's just a lot of tv episodes i didn't really see anything that was too mainstream but uh he does have a lot of good uh directing credits under his belt and then it was written by brad meerman um i hope i said that right it stars merman merman it's merman Mm -hmm. (laughs) merman dad (laughs) merman uh, it stars Madonna, Willem Dafoe,
0: sure does.
2: Joe Mantegna. I think that's how you say it too. Ann Archer. Mantania. Man- Mantania. Mantania. Joe Mantania. Mantania. Uh, Ann Archer. Julianne Moore. Stan Shaw. Lillian Lehman, Frank Langella. And Jurgen Prochnow. Critically on IMDb didn't do so well. It has a four point <laughs> five out of ten. Ouch. That is not very good Mm. (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes (laughs) did not do much better. 8% on the tomato meter there. That's an 8% (laughs) and a 23% on the audience score. So somehow the audience double doubly liked it (laughs) compared to what the critics liked it, but 23% is still terrible. So Mm. that is unfortunate. Um, And like I said before, it is streaming on Tubi. If you don't have Tubi, you're missing out It is incredible. Lots of free stuff, lots of great B movies, and lots of hidden gems. So it rhymes uh, so,
0: with booby for this movie.
2: It, there you go. It rhymes with booby. You learn something new every day. Um, budget estimated at thirty million dollars uh, in the U.S. and Canada. It grossed thirteen point two eight million dollars. We'll say opening weekend. It was seven point four million dollars on January eighteenth, nineteen ninety three even though the movie says it was 92. So, yeah, must have been turn of the new year sort of thing. Uh, gross worldwide, yeah, 13.273595. Okay, here are some fun facts about this amazing film. In a radio interview with Sway Calloway, Willem Dafoe confirmed that the scene in the parking garage, we know which one we're all talking about. Oh. Uh, it what was, scene?
0: never it heard of that, didn't genuine. see it.
2: <laughs> the one where he goes up on madonna not down on madonna and it's ah, just i like that i
1: like oh, very, that yeah. the one very 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 interesting the
0: face sitting that uh, one no no not there's, that one there's some of that it it ends in that does it oh it does oh yeah, yeah. it goes the, there
2: the sex on the broken glass uh-huh, you know yeah. yikes uh, anyways, so that scene uh, in the parking garage, it was genuine. There were no body doubles used at all. And in fact, neither Madonna nor Willem Dafoe had a body double for any of the sex scenes. So that, that butt we get to see there is the Green Goblin's butt his, himself. That is uh, it's a good butt. So. In, in, in interviews, <laughs> Madonna stated that she found <laughs> filming the sex scenes scientific, quote, not sexy at all. But co-star Willem Dafoe admitted he was "Quote turned on despite himself
1: while filming the scenes. So scientific, not sexy at all. What <laughs> I I have a, a great little um, sort of blurb from IMDb. You know, I guess it's the uh, you know the sort of the the um, what's it called? You know, just sort of like a, a one sentence uh, blurb about the film, uh, and <laughs> uh, you know, sort of su- summarizing the plot like a summarization." And the summarization from IMDb is a lawyer defends a woman accused of killing her older lover by having sex with him. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, it's not accurate. wrong, but. <laughs> it's funny because all you need to do is, uh, I, you know, I, I misread this sort of initially. I, I've obviously been, Right. It but sounds like, like she's
0: having sex with the lawyer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lawyer defends a woman, uh, uh, a woman, comma, accused of killing her older lover, comma, by having sex with her. I said that's how sh- that's how he defends her.
0: That's the greatest defense.
1: Right? It's like not guilty and how do me, you know because we had have sex. sex with you. Yes. Yeah.
2: It's as good as the shaggy defense. Remember that song Shaggy when he's like it Ooh. wasn't me.
0: Yep. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah, yeah. It
2: wasn't me.
1: It wasn't me. It wasn't
2: her. Yeah. It's a good defense um, right there. Oh my god, that <laughs> case closed. When I
0: was uh living in London, that song played in UK clubs every single time I went out. And it was obviously years later, that I don't know why. But in 2014, that song was having a a real resurgence in London. Weird. Mm. Hmm.
2: They yeah. love the Shaggy over there in the UK, apparently. Wasn't <laughs> it wasn't oh, him. It wasn't him.
1: wasn't him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, Madonna's acting coach quit just before production began, claiming that she thinks she knows everything.
1: <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. From Madonna? Is that
2: on brand with Madonna? I don't really know Or I mean, I know her
1: music and everything, but... I mean, she's used to being in charge. You know, she, she, at this point, she had, I think she'd released Erotica. She'd, you know, been on however many world tours. And, you know, she has her own record label at this point. And so it's a bit kind of, I can imagine it'd be a bit difficult to sort of humble yourself and be like, you, you seriously need to like sit in the, sit in the classroom seat, you know, and not, and be, and allow yourself to be taught.
0: Well, this, this was her fourth critically panned acting performance in a row
1: here's a spoiler spoiler
2: filled synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen it uh the elderly and wealthy andrew marsh dies from complications stemming from an erotic incident involving bondage and homemade pornography the main suspect is his lover rebecca carlson who proclaims her innocence to lawyer frank delaney initially believing her frank agrees to represent her district attorney robert garrett seeks to prove that rebecca deliberately killed marsh in bed to receive the eight million dollars he left her in his will As the trial begins, Rebecca and Frank enter a sadomachistic sexual relationship behind the back of Frank's unsuspecting wife, Sharon. During their first sexual encounter, Rebecca secures Frank's arms behind his back using his own belt and uh, alternately pours hot wax and champagne on him before having sex. After an ex-lover of Rebecca's, Jeffrey Roston, testifies that he also had a heart condition and both changed his will to favor Rebecca and that she was sexually domineering and compelled him to engage in sexual activity with no regard to his health, describing an incident that clearly resonates with Frank's own experience, Frank attempts to end their affair. That's a long run on. Sharon confronts him about the affair, having figured it out from a phone call with Rebecca, as well as the strange marks on his body from the hot wax. Frank goes to Rebecca's home and accuses her of telling his wife about them, although Sharon says she worked it out from her tone alone. Rebecca taunts Frank and he pushes her to the ground. Rebecca begins to masturbate on the floor in front of him. Rebecca pulls out handcuffs. Frank forcibly cuffs her hands instead and sexually assaults her. Initially, she resists before appearing to enjoy the rape. Footage from Marsh's home video reveals that he had an affair with his secretary, Joanne Braslow, who is a key witness against Rebecca. He also had previously let or left Joanne more money in his will before beginning his relationship with Rebecca. She says that she has hurt or she was hurt, but she loved him and would never hurt him. However, there is evidence that she brought the murder weapon. Uh, Rebecca suggests to Frank that the secretary tried to frame her, but he is less sure of her innocence in the crime. Rebecca takes the stand and her surprising testimony that Ralston or that Ralston had an affair with another man convinces the jury, which acquits her. Before leaving the court, she mockingly thanks Frank and indicates that she is guilty after all. Frank still cannot resist going to Rebecca's home, where he overhears an incriminating conversation between her and Marsh's doctor, Alan Paley. He confronts the co-conspirators, realizing that it was Paley who supplied the fatal dose of cocaine. Rebecca is amused by Frank's discovery of her manipulating him, but Paley is shocked to learn that she is was sleeping with Frank as well. Rebecca mocks both men, bluntingly or bluntly acknowledging that she used her sexual prowess to control and humiliate both of them as well as Marsh. Paley realizes she does not care about him and becomes enraged after a struggle with Frank who tries to save Rebecca Paley shoots her twice. She plunges from a window to her death. Paley is arrested for murdering her before leaving the scene with his wife to repair their relationship. Frank then tells Garrett he should have won the case with Garrett replying. I did. That's a, weird synopsis um it's a weird movie and let's just continue the conversation you guys are going with um i liked her in dick tracy even though she really was kind of hidden for the most part
1: i mean it's (laughs) it's sort of you know that that was a a very good case of casting i thought because it was like you you basically have to sort of um you know kind of whisper your lines and be a bit sexy and and so I i thought it was a good case of Warren Beatty kind of ha- hiding her acting in plain sight, you know. Mm-hmm. And then because, yeah, it, I mean, she was part of an ensemble full of, of you mm-hmm. know, Looney Tunes performances. Everybody <laughs> else is going over the top, so maybe oh, she yeah. seems like some kind of subtle method actor by comparison. Um, but in <laughs> yeah. this film, no such luck, you know. Everybody, nope. you know, uh, ah, nope. she's centre stage here. I, I do, I do have a theory as to um, how this came about. I know it was. Uh, you know, and you've probably read this as well, that it was developed as a vanity project sort of yeah. for her, you know, as a vehicle. And I know it that she... feels that way.
0: It does. Yeah. yeah
1: she, she, she's one of many people who, uh, many actors, uh, well, I, I use that term loosely, but many female stars <laughs> who um, turned down the role in Basic Instinct. Mm. and i think basically when that was a hit you know i can imagine her like yelling at her manager and her agent and everybody like get me my own basic instinct (laughs) um this is basic
0: instinct meets fatal attraction Mm. yeah
1: and i basic i think that um uh that you know bradmium and my theory is that he he either had been working on a, you know, some kind of script maybe that was in a drawer somewhere and it wasn't very good and he'd never finished it. or And then it was like, hey, we need a neurotic thriller. His agent's like, Madonna's looking for a neurotic thriller. He's like, okay, how about that? Uh, uh. <laughs> or he was told, Madonna needs a neurotic thriller, you know, and he was told, like, you've got a week yeah. to write something. <laughs> it has this kind of quality about it where it's incredibly slapdash, you know, even the camera work in it is like there's a moment where joe Joe Mantegna like moves towards you know and then goes slightly off his mark and and he's like in the bottom of the frame you know and it it doesn't look arty it just looks weird and um but because it's not madonna's close-up nobody Mm -hmm. particularly cares
0: only madonna has the good close-ups there's another courtroom scene where it's, it's her close-up and then it goes to Willem Dafoe. And for some reason, he's like in the corner of the frame. So your mm. eye isn't even drawn to him. It's drawn to the people behind him. But then it goes to Madonna and she is center stage. It is all about her close-up. Mm. And I've never seen Ann Archer be made up so terribly. Mm.
1: She does She does almost seem... It almost seems like that there was going to be a, a sort of an extra thing where it's like, you know, Anne Archer was some... Was, um, you know, uh, secretly a man or something, which of course, for the for the nineties, was was you know going to be a huge, horrible a horrible crime being oh trans. Gosh. You know, yeah. Hey, um, we
0: we had some some bad gay representation in this movie.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Frank Langella, you know who I shall for, for forever hereafter in this podcast refer to as Skeletor, um, because <laughs> because he played Skeletor. I'll be um, back. Yeah. Is is uh, Frank Langella? Um, yeah, you know, plays a, a, another a former, you know, sexual—I don't know—victim of Madonna's, um, and and uh, yeah, and then it's discovered that skeletal was was found with a man, possibly he man.
2: How Ooh. dare he! What she a played. man! What a man! What a mighty
1: good man! She couldn't oh. deal with
0: that because she's not as open-minded as she claims to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's also the fact that like, oh well, the relationships ended and. Therefore, he must be gay if he was with a man, Uh, and so he was clearly lying to you. And also, she she sort of gets a bit teary and says, "I couldn't compete."
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: it's like, (laughs) all right, you you maybe he's bi and he was going to bring this dude in, you know, to like Mm -hmm. have have a threesome.
0: Then it goes to bad depictions of bisexuals Mm. as duplicitous and and people who can't be monogamous because for whatever whatever it is, she seems to be a a one. No, she does it she's just a fuck whatever man she's gonna fuck kind of girl
1: yeah and you know it's 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 basically uh you know women who have a bunch of sex are you know to be punished and Mm -hmm. bisexuals are untrustworthy and um you know but also the, the actual sort of quote unquote seduction of willem dafoe is kind of non-existent yeah um you know, it's basically, you know, he spends a little bit of time around Madonna and then the idea is that she's just completely irresistible. Mm. Yes, so... but then
0: he sees her billowing vagina curtain.
1: Ah, yes. Well, there is that. <laughs> I feel like didn't he didn't he lean in for a kiss with he... her and she before yes. he saw the 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 um mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. The, the the Vulvic set dressing? <laughs> um uh, yeah He did
0: and she she was like, nobody, I don't do that.
1: And another thing, uh, Amanda, uh, me and Amanda, uh, Amanda and I, I don't know. Completely, completely. <laughs> do you want me to give upon, you a grammar lesson? <laughs> please. Yes.
0: A- Amanda, uh, and I, we...
1: <laughs> Amanda and I, yes. <laughs> comma, we, Amanda and I, we completely agreed on another important aspect of the quote unquote seduction. Um, and that's to do with Julianne Moore. There's,
2: there's obviously a lot, to, a, a lot to say about this movie. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know how to classify it necessarily. Is it film noir? Is it more of an erotic thriller? Is it anything else? And and film noir specifically, it is a style of filmmaking that's characterized by such elements as cynical heroes, stark lighting effects, frequent use of flashbacks, intricate plots, and an underlying existential philosophy. Now, with that definition, (laughs) I guess my question to you guys, is Body of Evidence a good example of Um, a film noir? Well, I will
0: say erotic thrillers only exist because of film noir. It, it is almost like the logical conclusion of where, would you, where you would go with a film noir when you are no longer shackled by the Hays Code. It, it's basically taking the noir. I mean, it's more neo-noir because they tend to be in color. And one of the definitive traits of a film noir is the black and white and the shadows, which was done um, actually because it was a practicality. It made it cheaper. It made those movies cheaper to shoot, so it, it's mm. really a neo noir, which has generally the same thematic elements, and then you just add more sex to it, and you get an erotic thriller. Um, is it a good example of one? No, not at all. It's it's very much a, a <laughs> mishmash. It's a it's a combination of. Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction down to the ending, down to the hair colors of the mistress and the wife. And Ann Archer, who plays the secretary in this, is the wife in Fatal Attraction. So it's very much just mashing them together and not saying anything new, but still being regressive.
1: Um, I think it wants to be film rouge and it's actually film beige. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of, is it a good film noir? Um, I mean, I think um, Doug Milson, British cinematographer who shot uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, is trying his damnedest, you know, with all the sort of, um, you know, lighting through uh, uh, Venetian blinds and things (laughs) like that, um, you know, to to inject some kind of noir class into it um but you know but it's it's um it, it's it's really v- very ham-fisted I mean I mean all anyone needs to do is is listen to to your your plot summary to mm-hmm. see how how redonkulous it all is um
0: and we saw we saw lights in some of the like we could see the lighting setups in some of the shots
1: uh yeah true uh th- there's there's one moment where I mean just to give a sense of how it's sort of, you'd imagine that it it was sort of really, um, what's the word I'm trying to, you know, that you'd think that there would be effort put into something where, oh, it's a Madonna vehicle and this and that and the other. But um, then she's, she's brought in for her first initial interview uh, with the police and they seem to be crammed in a, a room <laughs> somewhere, perhaps in an invist- existing location. Madonna's crammed up against an Amstrad that's behind her and you can see the reflection of the light um, her mm-hmm. presumably her her key light to give her a lovely close-up you can see that in the computer screen
0: it's distracting and
1: it's just it's just a bit like what was what was going on on this set you know they've got a, a director of photography you know you can imagine this sort of old old tired british man being like all right i'll throw some light over there if you want me to and you know in this german director being like this is my vision and then madonna <laughs> saying like you know, either Madonna's, you know, trusted hairstylist or a makeup person, you know, she, I'm sure she had specially brought along saying, no, no, Madonna needs more light. You know, she needs more this and that and the other. And, and um, it, it, just everything about it seemed really quite, quite sort of ham fisted. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's really quite poor. You know, I mean, at least you, you have Paul Verhoeven, you know, shooting Basic Instinct and you have someone who's really kind of in, in, in charge of what he's doing. Um, you also have in Sharon Stone someone who w- was not yet a star every every star turned this down so he went with um, someone who who w- this film would make a star and um, and so you have you know her and, and Michael Douglas you know you have two people who had really good chemistry mm-hmm. and who was sort of game and um, you have a cinematographer Jan de Bont who he'd worked with a, a, a lot. In this, you have a bunch of people who are all thrown together and all seem to have been. Zach, you know, didn't
0: he direct our our first movie that we covered together?
1: I, I believe
2: so. That's what I. That's what I was uh, thinking. I was like, oh, oh Verhoeven? Who no, 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 no. no, no the Bond.
0: cinematographer. Oh,
1: Yann yes, because he he um. The he, haunting. What, he, yeah. Oh really? The he, first. He, yeah, okay. The
0: first movie Zach and I ever covered together yeah. was the 1998 remake of The Haunting. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh. I sadly never saw that, but don't. he's also the, he's also the DP on the best Christmas movie ever made, which is Die Hard. Don't, course, yeah. which don't
0: is, see the haunting remake. It's God awful.
1: Which links into my own podcast <laughs> plug for later when you'll allow me to plug my Absolutely. own <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, it's, just, it, it's, 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 I mean, you've got some really good actors um, surrounding Madonna and trying their best. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I
0: don't think the director's giving them anything because I think all of the time is spent on how do we make Madonna look good? How great. do we make this for Madonna mm. and no one else? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But but oh, I know uh, we were we were going to um, Julianne Moore of, the pa- sex scene yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, passing passing the baton to Amanda here because I'm going to look up something else about Lee Adele. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, which I want to share with you.
0: When Peter and I were watching it, mm-hmm. we realized that. I mean, there are issues with with the whole premise of this thing, but why the fuck would he cheat on Julianne Moore? Their relationship is yeah. shown, actually, like, they are really connected, and the sex scene between the two of them at the beginning, now there are issues with how that was filmed, and Julianne Moore was deeply uncomfortable, and that's a huge problem from a narrative standpoint, and from an audience viewership standpoint, Julianne Moore is a damn good actress, and she is selling that fucking scene. They look connected. That sex scene is sexy, and it's also not vanilla. So the idea that I'm trying, that we're supposed to believe that Willem Dafoe has only ever had like boring vanilla missionary sex, when we see the two of them, and they are sweaty, they are like scratching and clawing at each other. And it looks like they really, you know, are enjoying it versus then the scenes he has with Madonna, which are almost scientifically clinical.
2: I, I didn't see it that way necessarily. Like I, when I was watching it, I didn't think that they had a, their relationship like him and Julianne Moore, um, it was like vanilla sex necessarily. It seemed really passionate and they seem really connected. I just looked at it from a male standpoint and being like, we want that, that tempting fruit we want that thing that is Madonna right um the forbidden f- fruit I should say and she had this allure and I guess the idea behind her was she was Did she? well I think that's what what uh uli Adele was trying to go with there was you know making her this this temptress this uh succubus uh, we'll, we'll say because willem Defoe goes into it even though he knows it's wrong like from the get-go when she is like trying to invite him in, into her boathouse or whatever that thing is and he's like no I'm gonna go home but then the next night or whenever they go out again you know he wants to go in for the kiss and so it's that it's that back and forth that chess match and I think he just wants her more and more and I don't necessarily think he's saying that um, you know him and Julianne Moore were having an issue it, he's obviously in the wrong for cheating on his wife it's terrible uh, but I, I, I think that what they were trying to do was put the draw towards Madonna because we as an audience should believe her until the final reveal of, Hey, guess what? I got away with it sort of thing.
0: Well, I think they're trying to posit though, that is showing him something he's never experienced before. And you look at Willem Dafoe and you're like, but this man is kinky. He knows what <laughs> kinky sex is. This, this isn't someone who, you know, hasn't experienced things. And it also just doesn't help that they don't have chemistry. He and Madonna don't have any, Sexual, romantic, and I think part of it is that, unlike Julianne Moore, she's not a great actress, and there's a reason her acting teacher quit.
1: <laughs> yeah, d- d- she selected Defoe, mm-hmm. you know, as as her co star, you know, and and um, it might just be that you know it's one of these projects where she thought, okay, I want my own Basic Instinct, and then halfway through, you know, she thought. Oh, making movies is hard, you know, and it's it's not like she's not a hard worker. She's an incredibly hard worker, but I think you know it's one thing to be making your own album, going mm-hmm. on tour, you know, and another thing to to be making movies—a very different discipline. Be
0: able to act, and also,
1: mm. you know,
0: she's she's Michael Douglas, and there's a reason he did so many erotic thrillers. And by so many, I mean three. He did three. It's um, it's the big. It's the big ones. Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, which is obviously a matchup of. And Disclosure, which is a piece of shit. Um, Absolute piece of shit. We could talk about it one day. I have so much to say. But Michael Douglas, it's not that he's not attractive, but he has this kind of regular Joe quality about him. There's nothing regular Joe about Willem Dafoe. Hmm.
1: And that is a poem that should go down <laughs> in history.
0: I'm a I, poet, and I didn't know it. I don't
1: know.
2: Can you yeah. can you elaborate more on that? I'm just like uh, other than the fact that he has a, a striking, uh, you know, um, face and presence. I should just say with everything that Willem Dafoe does, right? And you know, mm-hmm. he's uh, he'll live on through the memes and the and the funny the funny gifs that we see of him, you know, doing his crazy mm-hmm. eyes and face. But I mean,
0: easily Willem Dafoe. When you see him he feels like a live wire he's he's kind of dangerous there's mm. there's a dangerous mm. sexuality that you do not see when you look at michael douglas who looks like he could be a suburban dad
1: yeah i mean he's definitely it's almost like the um you know the attractive vice principle that the the milfs want to mm-hmm. go for with michael <laughs> douglas like with william defoe this is like the crazy drama teacher who, you know, uh, yeah. If, if, I don't know. I just somehow came up with a high school analogy, but, but, um, you know, I think actually Amanda actually said before we sat down to watch this, like, why, you know, it's because he's so miscast. He said, you know, he's 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 supposed to be vanilla, but you know, I think you used the phrase, "This man radiates kink." Yes, I did. <laughs> I, um, that sounds like what said. I said, yeah. which I, I really quite like. But I, I wanna I wanna um draw attention quickly to to uh, where remembered Yuli Adele. After this, he um, directed uh, Alan Rickman, Ian McKellen and Greta Scacci in um, uh, the uh, TV movie Rasputin. Mm. <laughs> um, and um, we have uh, from this is from Rickman's um, diaries published post mortem. Um, uh, and uh, he, he says, Offset, Yuli has a vulnerability that shines through his tractor-like nature. Onset, the bark is insistent, humour almost non-existent, manners unheard of as extras are herded and actors given their instructions. You will stand here, you will do this, you will do that. I, of course, respond to all this like a tank running through its gears. A mild confrontation eventually ensues when we test the water of actors are people
2: (laughs) bravo that was wonderful (laughs)
1: so 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 the the idea you know i can imagine you know you've got you've got this sort of like (laughs) dictator like you know you've got madonna you've got defoe being like i don't know i just you know to be fair i i can imagine why he would be having more fun than anybody else Mm -hmm. because he gets to make out with madonna and he he gets a sex scene with madonna and julianne moore Mm -hmm. Um, for all I know he sat in the corner and watched you know an Archer's body double run around naked um, he, he you know he's he's just there' he's, he's doing his best there's a lot of people just showing up for a paycheck really doing I mean one scene you've even got Charles Hallahan from the thing yeah. you know who's, who's <laughs> you know head head snaps off and, and grows spider legs showing up but but it's it's a sign of a film that's not working very well. When Joe Mantegna is giving his closing argument, and I'm like, "Oh, that juror's uh, that juror's (laughs) trying not to sneeze. That juror's got a got a sniffle."
0: We spent a lot of time picking apart the jury when we were watching
1: it. Yeah, there's also there's there's a couple of reporters seriously overacting (laughs) behind Defoe, and I started to call them Statler and Waldorf. They're like these two old dudes. They were behind Mantegna.
0: They were behind Mantegna. Mantegna, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, writing
1: writing in a yeah writing furiously in notebooks. Mm And it's just, you know that a movie's not going well when you're like, oh, look at what those extras are doing. That's kind of funny. <laughs> and, and again, just more of, a, more of a, a bastion for, you know, keep your extras real and human. Don't, don't make them AI. <laughs> don't make your extras CGI. Because oh look at this gold. Look at this gold you got from the background artists <laughs> on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well,
0: what else are we going to laugh at? F- yeah.
1: Because the front ground artists were <laughs> <laughs> just just clearly too bored.
2: So one of the one of the things about this film, obviously, you know, reading through the trivia right before this, there was a a ton about the sex scenes. I mean, the entire movie can probably be uh, explained as just one big giant sex scene for for the most part. And I think those are the highlights of it. Now, I think that in films in general, they're highly important when it can help enhance the story and that it can strengthen the plot. And the biggest sex scene in this one in Body of Evidence, I think, is the first scene when they really hook up and his arms are tied behind his back with the belt and so and the hot wax and so on and so on. Now, I feel like it goes on pretty long, like it goes on for a good length of time and it holds really nothing back. However, I did feel that this kind of hurt the movie a little bit because I didn't think it needed to go on that long. So I'm not a intimacy coordinator, nor have I been in a sex scene or anything like that. So do you guys think that this was important and that maybe it went on too long or or your thoughts?
0: You know, the first time I watched this movie, I liked that scene a lot more. Watching it again this past weekend, I was thinking... It's not actually as hot as I remember it being. <laughs> which which is interesting, but it it's that really watching the scene at the beginning with Julianne Moore is so much it just feels so much more connected. This feels like we're going for shock value and kink for the sake of it. And I guess it's important for what the story is trying to tell, but at the same time, I think what the story is trying to tell is stupid. Um it, it just, it feels, and here's the thing, sex scenes are choreographed, and they should be. They should be very well choreographed, but I shouldn't be watching it thinking about the choreography or the fact that, you know, the number of breaths Madonna was told to take between doing this action and that action and counting it out, you know, it's I shouldn't be watching the the machinations of how this scene was made. I should be seeing the connection between these two actors, and I don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of what Madonna does in this movie is actually very mechanical. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know the the and um, the sex is 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 a big part of that. I think here's here's the thing is that I think when it comes to the erotic thriller genre, is that um, it's basically, it, it, you know, Amanda's absolutely right. You know, this, this comes out of, well, what if the femme fatale basically like got completely naked and we dispense with any kind of, you know, censorship and this is what would happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, um, I think, you know, pre-internet, if, if erotic thrillers would not come to pass post-internet, like erotic thrillers are about, um, legitimizing some type of of you know uh, lust for pornography, but not having either a red light shop in your area, or not being uh, not feeling too embarrassed to go into one. So you know, I think a lot of erotic thrillers, you know, a uh, post-fatal attraction, post-basic instinct, and many many more were made that went straight to video. Um, are about you know uh, suburban people saying well I'm, I'm too scared to, to rent porn or but but this is a, a a quote unquote legitimate movie um however like porn that was made you know for video or for cinemas or all the rest of it um th- you know when when porn movies were first made for cinema you know there were there were sex scenes but there were also bits in between where people were talking and this definitely feels like one of those movies where it's yeah. like, well, who fucking cares? They, they, everyone's going to fast forward past this bit anyway.
0: <laughs> it's cinemax. or go
1: for popcorn during this bit. <laughs> yeah, true. It, it's the you know?
0: softcore softcore porn. Yeah, that's yeah. Really, so it definitely really is a
2: good example. Yeah.
0: So
1: so it's like you know, I mean, any number of teenagers probably rented this. You know, got 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 an uncle to rent it. You know, and then just fast forward through all the talky bits. Um, and the
0: thing is, I actually, theoretically, I love the idea of the erotic thriller. I love film noir. I love neo-noirs. Oh. And I believe that sex scenes can be really important in a in a story. I, I don't think it has to be purely a penetrative sex scene. There are a lot of other sexual acts. Peter, this is what? Now the second erotic thriller we have watched together because you <laughs> oh, saw oh. mine in the theater. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, yes. Yes. And and so clearly, I'm very pro them. I just think it needs to serve the story and not just be for titillation, but do something. And I, I think in a lot, we see that more in European cinema mm-hmm. where it's just sort of treated as a natural thing. And that actually makes it sexier than just, guess what, they're having sex. But I, I love film noir, so I, I don't see why you couldn't have basically a noir with good sex scenes. And I think that's what body heat is. The sex scenes actually they do something in that movie. It establishes oh. something and it establishes character development. And the sex scenes themselves aren't graphic. It's just a lot of nudity, but they're very well shot and choreographed. And that that movie does a good job of, of taking the noir, bringing it into the modern day and adding those sex scenes, but still... And also what's better about a movie like Body Heat is that it, it knows what the Hays Code is, or at least I'm going to say it does. And it knows that you know, movies back then were beholden to this stupid Catholic morality. Thank you, Joseph Breen. Um, and so it really flips it and says, "Yeah, but the guy in the in the original noir is all, always some stupid schmo who falls for something that is obviously a trap because he wants to get laid." And then the woman in the original movies always had to be punished because she's a floozy, she's a whore, how dare she? And Body Heat says, "Well, we're not in that time period anymore. She gets to get away with this because he is the idiot." And that is truly flipping the noir on its head. Versus a movie like Body of Evidence, which just is like, "Well, let's let's take a shitty B noir that would have come out in you know '42." Add a fuck ton of sex, but she has to die at the end because she still has to be punished because she is a loose woman.
1: Um, Madonna did say in an interview that the original draft had her getting away with it. Um, Should have kept that. Then, I think that would have you been know, more and effective. She, yeah, and and she fought for that to be the ending, but then you know, so so to her, I suppose you know, hot. You know, if there's anything in terms of a hot take, then it's you know, Madonna, uh, Madonna. Um, you know, fought to keep the ending the same. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, she was right. Was, she should have squished. gotten away with it. Yep. Um, I mean, also, and-
0: the, the, cri- the crime is not something that she would have ever been arrested for in the first place. There's nothing that they could prove. They had zero shreds of evidence. Everything was, well, well she has sex like a whore. So clearly she murdered him with her vagina. That's it. Let's, well, well
1: well well here's another here's another thing let's get into now we've talked about <laughs> sex and noir let's let's get into how um shitty and unrealistic the actual legal and crime side of it is <laughs> um you know i mean i guess it's I, I you know i don't know how much of it because you know obviously i'm not a legal expert but uh, since then there have been legal dramas and things where we, we know a bit more about the um uh, the you know the 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 procedure. Yeah, you can't of have the court, the surprise courtroom.
0: evidence or yeah. surprise witnesses in the middle of a trial. Yeah, it'd be like, oh no, and and any of that would immediately cause a mistrial.
2: Mm-hmm. You have to allow for basic discovery by the defense. Mm-hmm. Or you know, yep, so. It's it's, it's yep. I mean, some of it was obviously for dramatic effect, you know, like the everything everything being overruled and everything all the objections like I thought that that was kind of by the sassy to, black judge yeah. yep. by
0: the way trope. of course by that the trope. sassy
1: female black yeah. judge yeah um, Are we
0: done with that trope yet? Can we can we I, let the black women so. actually play roles that aren't just well she's a sassy judge.
1: <laughs> you'd, you'd you'd hope you'd hope I'm pretty right. sure
0: my fiance in the background just said no
1: <laughs> no, nice, <laughs> nice one, but I mean for I mean soap opera level, even to the point where it's you know it said, oh, what is it it said she's on the stand, and it's oh. like. Oh well, um, you know, yeah, Skeletor. It's too bad Skeletor's not here. He is. Says, yes, he is. He's sitting right over there in that corner. And then he just stands <laughs> up like
0: slow stand. And,
1: yeah, slow stand, and then he, you know, he sort of walks walks out of there indignantly back to Castle Grayskull. You know, or <laughs> no, but no, back to Snake Mountain. Sorry, Castle Grayskull's the He-Man's pup thing. Confusingly, but um, uh, but yeah, he he, you know, Skeletor just fucks off out of there. Um, and it's like, why why was that? why was that scene there why why would
0: also what is that, <laughs> no one
1: else but madonna did she did did she sort of say you know i need a win i need to point something out out that nobody else has noticed Wait, What and is said, that that okay,
0: prove that
1: you can you can spot skeletal in the corner it doesn't change <laughs> you know. the
0: fact that he put her in his will it, 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 yeah it doesn't make sense it's,
1: no, it's 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 very nonsensical. It's it, but again, you know, I think I think the studio is thinking, everyone's just gonna fast forward through these talkie bits I, anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're
0: right. That's that's all people should up for and that's true. There's no plot that makes any sense and you're not there for the acting, so it's just like Ooh, well, that sex scene on top of a car, so wow. I,
2: I do want to interject and, and discuss that then. So like, I am I want to talk about the sex scenes more and I'm not an actor, nor do I ever think I have the talent to act, but I am a male who enjoys sex. I texted Amanda before I watched this movie and 13 and year old Zach came out and I was like, <laughs> does Madonna get naked? And I was joking, but then Amanda's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, oh shit, okay, she does. <laughs> Uh, A lot of nudity, and and there are moments in this film that the actors get incredibly intimate with each other on screen, like we discussed earlier. The scene in particular where Defoe performs cunnilingus on Madonna in the parking garage comes to mind uh, wholeheartedly, I'll just say. How do you and you guys know this better than I do? How do you film these scenes as an actor, director, producer, uh, whatever it may be? And is it acceptable if one of the actors gets aroused because we're humans?
0: Do you want me to start this, Peter? Because I probably have.
1: Please, yeah, the most. you have experience.
0: <laughs> um,
1: you, you you have experience of doing this. I just have experience of watching this and pausing it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, well, I I am an actor and a writer, and I have a right now on the festival circuit a sort of modern day erotic thriller, or I guess psychosexual thriller. Um, I think
1: that's a better term. That's for, the one for I it, use. I said, yeah, yeah. psycho, yeah. but
0: it's it's a weirder term. But yeah, I say psychosexual because that's really what it is. Um, and we worked with an intimacy coordinator the whole time. They were on set the entire time for the most part, and it's it is very technical. It is a lot of work. It is you know you meet with the intimacy coordinator before rehearsals start to go over what your boundaries are. In rehearsals, what your boundaries are on set, um, you rehearse things to death, and then you know you get to set and it's all about what well, the camera's here, so here's how we modify things. Here are the modesty garments that you're going to wear so that it looks like you're naked but you're not, um, and when you are filming in 110 degree weather, you will learn that those modesty garments, which are usually sideless and and stick, they're adhesive, don't like to stick so in between every take you have to get them reapplied um and i'm not going to say that filming these scenes can also be fun because at the end of the day you are still acting you are acting apart you're not being yourself and if you're in a situation where you feel safe with your crew and you feel safe with whoever the other actor or actors in this scene are you can just kind of let yourself have fun with the scene and treat it like a dance or a stunt because that's what it is. Um, as to, you know, how do you handle it if someone gets aroused? The beauty of not having a penis is it's a lot easier for me to hide that. But you you go in knowing you're both people, you know, your brain knows that this is pretend but that doesn't mean your body will always respond that way and it's about not making a big deal of it you don't call attention to it you take a pause you readjust you take a breath and you just go on with the scene but they also there's so many people around you and it, it is so much about okay well this part goes on for this number of seconds and then and, and especially with my movie, it is a lot of physical movement of like a hand goes here, but then we literally have to do a lift or a flip or move from a couch to the floor. And those could be dangerous if you're not actually thinking through what the next moves are or, you know, my, my co-star is six, six foot three, I'm five foot two. So there's a lot of, well, if my leg doesn't go to the right place at the right time, I could get injured so you're not you don't really have the time to be like oh yeah i'm so into this it's about okay the next bit is he pulls me up and then flips me over i have to be ready for that i mm-hmm. need to know where to place my weight in my body so that will happen correctly
2: hmm. oh.
0: yeah
1: <laughs> it's. I mean, I mean, it's. It's interesting. It, you know, that the, the, well. There's a there's a cliche. You know, in terms of uh, male actors saying to a, a, you know a, usually a, a female co star before a, a scene, uh, "Forgive me if it happens, and forgive me if it doesn't." Um, is the sort of thing that that I've heard one you know a male co star say to break the tension. Um, you know, hopefully to have a laugh about it. There's also, there's a great B-roll of a film I haven't actually seen. I think there's a sex scene between Patrick Wilson and Brooklyn Decker, where they released the sort of rushes of the scene. And basically they keep the camera rolling. And then every time he, between action and cut, they're playing like James Brown on the set. And then like there's makeup people coming in to yep. like mm-hmm. spritz the, the, the actors with sweat. And then they're like, OK, do you think, you know, like, OK, like, do this, do that. And then, like, you know, do you think he's he's going to, like, um, tell her if he's going to come? And and Wilson's like, oh, yeah, he would tell her. He would tell her. And then, like, she laughs and everybody laughs. And it's clear that there's this kind of, like, atmosphere of, you know, we know this is all fun, right? We're going to try and make it as relaxed as possible. Mm-hmm. So that then between action and cut, you do something that's quite sexy, but then it's instantly back to sort of, OK, this is playtime. Yep. Um that's not to say, you know, nowadays there's a lot more of a, a caring, responsible attitude to this. Um, Julianne Moore said in an interview she was mortified. She found the sex scene excruciating, which, again, just just shows what a good actor she is. But um, I also think that that,
0: that goes to show what we've now heard about, what it was like working with this director. I can't imagine it would be fun to film a sex scene with this. Like, I, as an actor, I... Do you appreciate a good sex scene? And I will also be in a good sex scene, but I need to feel comfortable with who I'm working with. And from what I've read about this guy, I would not.
1: No. Yeah. And and she basically, she asked for a body double and Archer got a body double, Mm -hmm. you know, all the rest of it. Julianne Moore was not as well-known at the time. You know, she was a younger, less well-known actor, you know, probably out of the principal actors, probably the least well-known at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was told no. You gotta get naked, you gotta do this, this, and this. And she was absolutely mortified and and even I think felt
0: mm-hmm. perhaps a
1: bit, a bit tricked and manipulated into it, as as many actors have. And
0: that's where an intimacy mm. coordinator would come in and immediately call SAG and, exactly. and say, You are going to take steps to make this actor comfortable. Because that is part of your job. You are not she should not feel traumatized on the set. What the fuck is wrong with you?
2: I mean, wasn't that the big controversy with Don't Look Now? Uh, I mean, that I- infamous sex scene between Julie Christie and Donald No, Don they Sutherland? were both very...
0: They've talked extensively about how comfortable they would, were with that scene because it was such a closed set.
2: But w- w- was the lack of an intimacy, intimacy coordinator, I mean, did that, like affected and that caused a big part of the controversy though or i mean the
0: controversy is that people think they were really having sex because it's so intimate Mm -hmm. but i i think they fostered an environment on that set where it was such a close set there were only four people in the room Hmm. and and you know the director was close with the actors and they talked it all through in advance and agreed to everything it's um last tango in paris is the one that seriously fucked up with the butter scene that was not in the script and and Berlucci wanted yeah they they, yeah. they
1: tricked that actress into yeah you know yikes she basically yes yeah, actually assaulted yeah, on camera that's and she's exactly now what that become is. very very vocal about she's it she's actually I mean, you know dead
0: now unfortunately
1: uh yeah, yeah she, she passed away she, she, a while ago she i think she came forward before she did you know, she became just, very yeah. vocal about it very vocal yeah as she should be um but yeah this is this is i mean it 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 really is i, I mean um amanda we, we amanda, amanda and i we were also agreeing about um uh how sort of conservative this film is mm-hmm. you know in terms of its attitudes um and you know also it, i think the other thing is how have we you know have we come honestly that far given that you know, the modern equivalent is maybe Fifty Shades, which is just as awesome. sort of rub- rubbish. Yeah, just as rubbish, just into, you know, sort of con- conservative attitudes. That's born out of Twilight fan fiction. Mm. We're, we're, we, you know, we're, <clears throat> so we've got two female authors, but who seem to have grown up with this kind of bizarre Christian misogynist view of the world or been brainwashed by that. Um, and, uh, you, you know, so it, it, it's, it's really not that much better. Right. No. Um, in terms of, I tell you, my hottest take on this whole thing is that the writer Brad Meerman is actually more talented than he would appear based on this <laughs> film, um, which is which is why I, I sent um, the link to uh, Night Moves, you know, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a thriller. This is Night <laughs> Moves. This this is Night Moves with a K, uh, not the Gene Hackman movie, but this is a basically a pun on that Night Moves uh, about sort of uh, chess. Uh, an erotic thriller set uh, set in the the exciting world of chess tournaments because there's um, nothing where...
0: sexier than
1: chess. Hey,
2: the Queen's Gambit did a good
1: job with it. So just oh saying. yeah, no, no, to me, no, it doesn't do. I mean, it's it's basically it's an excuse to have a bunch of, of suspects, you <laughs> so know, around. Wasn't um, there
0: a chess? Like grandmaster who lost his title because he was using a sex toy to cheat, like the vibrations in a sex toy. Oh him yeah, I know what
1: you're
2: talking about.
0: Thing. Ah, this is recent. Thing. Okay. This was a few yeah.
2: years ago, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Sadly, sadly, uh, the '92 thriller Night Moves doesn't cover that. Mm. Um, save it for the sequel. <laughs> uh, yeah, save it for the se- yeah. No, but 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 Brad Mearman wrote this thing, Night Moves, and and I think clearly, you know, more time was spent on that than rushing an erotic thriller into production. <laughs> you know, for Madonna. Um, this was, I think it came out maybe the year before. And, you know, and it was, it was, again, it was, it's a flawed film, but, um, and it also has incredibly clunky dialogue mm-hmm. like like Body of Evidence. So he's not, you know, he's not exact, he's not Aaron Sorkin, uh, you know, but it, 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 what it did do was it had much clever plot machinations. And and towards the end there's there's about five suspects, all of which who you think, oh, wow, maybe it's maybe it's this person maybe it's this person and they also they're very good fake outs in terms of towards the end they say they use all the cliches as to uh, uh, which in a a less intelligent thriller would be um you know the clue to who did it where it's like oh where's so and so oh they just left and it's like oh well they you know in your average thriller they just left because they're about to go and get someone with a knife Mm -hmm. But in this, you know, it's a red herring and that's done about three or four times. And I think that's actually really quite good. Um, So so Brad Meerman is my hot take is that Brad Meerman is a more talented writer than you would think. Doesn't mean he's amazing, but more talented than you would think based on this movie. That's that's the hottest take I've got. Every other take (laughs) I have is decidedly room temperature as a take.
2: I like it. Now, I, I know we've been kind of shitting on this film uh, for the most part, <laughs> but what? I, I do think, I, I really do think that it did have a lot of uh, excellent character actors. And for anyone who doesn't really know a character actor, it's just someone who frequently plays a distinctive and important supporting role. So I guess like in another sense, just a character actor is somebody who uh, specializes in minor roles. And we've seen them, it's always the, hey, that guy or that gal sort of sort of thing. And we'll see it in any movie that we watch, right? So Richard Reel, Mark Ralston, Charles Hallahan, Stan Schaad, now. Uh Those were the actors that were in this that I was constantly like, oh, gosh, yeah, I remember uh, him or her. And yeah, I guess my question to you guys are, who are some of your favorite character actors in film? Because there's a whole bunch of them.
1: Mm. Uh, well, well uh, uh, there's a couple that I particularly like When whenever they show up, I'll, I'll watch something. Um, uh, Martin Donovan is one mm-hmm. who I've been a fan of since the, the Hal Hartley good. days. Um, oh my god, have just... you
0: seen him in the quiet? That's such a bad movie.
1: Oh wow, yeah. No, that he really, so... you know. So so there's that, there's um, you know, him as Al Pacino's partner in Insomnia. Insomnia I remember, uh-huh. you know, I, I remember when I saw that, I was like, yay, it's it's how <laughs> it's 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 Donovan from the you know the Hal Hartley days. Um and uh, th- so there's him, there's Joko Ivanek, who I I uh, you know, first I I saw him. I'm not that they would do this nowadays necessarily, but he was playing, um, you know, sort of uh, someone with severe disabilities and learning difficulties in an episode of The X Files, and he was so convincing. I thought, how did they? I've definitely seen that episode. How did that? Yeah, called Roland. We played the titular character, Roland, and it was like, how how did they get this person with learning difficulties to to do these things? Mm -hmm. And then seeing him in an episode of later on of Homicide: Life on the Street. Um, which I think is 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 the you know the master series for where do we go to to find character actors, um, uh, you know in guest stars and in the reg- their regular players. Homicide is the is the one, but um, yeah, I saw him then. I think as a recurring character as their sort of district attorney, and and it was like oh he he's not learning, he doesn't have a disability. He you know he he he's he 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 was acting, <laughs> and so he's he's definitely one of my favorite. Yeah character actors. Andre bra who was who was uh you know excellent uh lead in um Homicide is another one.
0: Yeah, he's great. He did a great job in Brooklyn 99 doing mm. a comedy. Oh. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yes. That was a great. So,
0: and the guy who plays his husband also I totally forget that actor's name, but he's always wonderful when I see him.
1: I don't know. Yeah. I forget
0: it. I think we we know on this podcast how I feel about Sam Elliott.
1: He's going to say, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You you missed we we did um Swayze September and Ooh, we, crazy for Swayze we covered, September yeah we covered Roadhouse because it is a personal fave and and I was thirsty on Maine over here for Sam Elliott.
2: I had a spray <laughs> down with a little squirt bottle. I was
0: like
2: heat <laughs> off that. Oh my god.
0: Um. So I think I think he goes that saying, mm-hmm. but um, I would say I guess Jennifer Coolidge is technically considered a character actress. Absolutely. And, she's fucking fantastic she's so good you (laughs) always love watching her or Jane Lynch I'm just thinking about them in um best in show Mm -hmm. literally anyone in that universe um would we consider Christopher Guest he's a character yes please yeah
1: yeah, I mean, there's Definitely. comedic character actors, there's dramatic, yeah. and then there's those who kind of who sort of straddle the genres. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you go to any Christopher Guest movie, and and it's just stock... It's chock full of any comedic mm-hmm. character actor mm-hmm. um, who show up in any number of things. With this, you know, it's so funny. It's like you know, Body of Evidence. It's 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 again. It's just you know stalwart jobbing actors. You know, getting a paycheck. Mark Rolston, you know, uh, uh, from Aliens and later The Shawshank Redemption. Richard Rayleigh, I or it however you pronounce the name, is I, I I initially didn't recognise because he didn't have that giant walrus moustache <laughs> yeah. he normally has. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so an unshaven Richard Rayleigh in this is is quite something. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, and I think that it's it's so cool to see some of these character actors in really good roles. So like Stephen Root comes to mind, uh, and his performance mm. in Barry was was fantastic. And I mean, I always know him ah. as Milton, right? Or or the guy from Dodgeball. And but he mm. he was in Ghost. He had a he, he was a detective in Ghost. And like
0: <laughs> another movie we did, Crazy for yeah, in September.
2: Like Stephen oh. Root is is a phenomenal actor. Like he was great. Judy Greer is another really good one mm-hmm. too. You're always like, oh my gosh, Judy Greer. She's in this, 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 this this um steven tobolowski like the guy ned ryerson basically yes yes like yes, in yes. everything pretty much um he, yeah
0: he's the guy who every time i'm watching a movie with my fiance and he comes on my fiance goes who's that i know that <laughs> yeah. guy i'm like yes you do oh you know what this is an old one mm-hmm. um and i think he counts as a character because he was never the lead he was always the the character on the side and it's happened so many times that I'll watch an older black and white movie with him. My fiance and I both do this. And we go, "Who is this guy? We really <laughs> like him." George Saunders. He plays uh, Flavell and oh. Rebecca. He's in the Ghost and Mrs. Muir. He's never the lead. Every time we see him pop up, we go, "Really like that guy." What else do I know him from? Oh right, like. Twenty other movies because we do this every time we see him. Is is he British? Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. he, he was British. The, he, he, I think he did the
1: voice of Shere Khan in the Jungle yep. Book. I th- yeah,
0: I think you're right. Yeah, he was British. Yeah, is so he's a picture of
2: Dorian Gray, all about Eve, Village of the Damned, all about
0: Eve. Yeah. Yes, see, yeah. yes, oh, movie. Village of the Damned. Totally forgot he was in that one too. Every single time I see him, wasn't he in like
1: Escape from Witch Mountain? Or <gasps> I love like, that movie. The... the one from wasn't the seventies. in that? No, yeah. was he? I don't, he? Know. I don't wow. know. Maybe he wasn't. But some someone that was, someone that would
0: cut deep. I was a big fan of that movie back in the nineties. I mean, it's from the seventies, but I was a big fan in the nineties.
1: He's I mean,
2: yeah, he has a quite the resume. So that's mm-hmm. that's always He's, fascinating. Every
0: single time I watch a movie and he pops up, I, it's an immediate and now I now I recognize him. And now I go, ah, I know who that is. I know why I like him so much. But for a good couple of years it would happen where we'd watch something, he'd be a side character, would be like, This guy's amazing. Who mm-hmm. is this? Oh right. We 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 did we did this.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Patton comes to mind too. Will Patton's always, you know, oh, yes. remember the Titans and all those. And I, so I like audiobooks a lot and he narrates a ton of audiobooks and his voice is so relaxing and yet, yet informative. I, I don't know. It's, it's perfect for an audiobook in my opinion, uh, but he's, he's another really good yeah. character. Tim actor.
0: Curry, Vincent Price. Oh, I love Tim Curry. Count. Yeah.
2: I love Tim yeah. Curry so much. So, yeah, it's so do I there. There are there are tons of them. Um, and I, I always think it's so funny. And so the thing is one of my favorite movies like ever. So it's always it's always great to see like Charles Hallahan in, in that. And I'm just like, oh, man, his chest is going to open up and just completely rip my arms off. So <laughs> um, I yeah, I, I love that, too. And Stan Shaw, same kind of thing. So like awesome to see him in it. Uh, so it was it, it's it, it's it's very cool. So I want to give the movie props for obtaining those actors
1: more recently character actor wise um uh i've I've been lucky enough to work with a welsh stalwart who shows up everywhere robert Pugh, uh who's in my film uh but also like he was the first mate in master and commander uh craster in game of thrones like he's someone where if you need a creepy old dude um or a disapproving old dude he will he will show up um and you know he's the he's the loveliest bloke and um also uh from the uk as well uh, paddy considine is mm-hmm. one of my favorite actors and and he you know both has been the lead in kind of weird interesting bizarre films but also then will, will show up in bigger films you know playing a supporting role and i just i just um it's it's rare that i catch him acting
2: yeah he was great in House of, House of the Dragon. Like, he was very, very good in that. And mm. I love him in all of the Edgar Wright movies. I mean, yeah, it's he's,
1: yeah. he's excellent. Oh, and, and talking about House of the Dragon again, and my Welsh patriotism, Reese Vans, is another yeah. one. Who oh, just yeah, he's always... Watching everything. What a weirdo. Yeah. We, yeah, we just
2: t- we just talked about that in the last podcast, how he narrated Exit Through the Gift Shop, that Banksy yes. documentary. Yes,
0: oh, yeah, we did, because we did oh. the doc. Yeah.
2: He's excellent. Okay, so... um <laughs> the, the, the the scene, as I said in the synopsis where Willem Dafoe's character Frank sexually assaults uh, Madonna, he rapes her. It's it's hard to watch. It hasn't aged well. It, that rape scene was a lot. Um, when I'm watching it, I'm like, holy shit, what is this? And towards the end of the film, when Frank confronts Rebecca in her house after he thought that she outed their affair to his wife, um, that's when it happened. And it seemed so, I don't know, it seemed weird And just out of place. Are we just supposed to ignore it as a viewer? Like, why was this scene even in the movie?
0: So this scene also happens in a different, basically the same way in Basic Instinct. Mm. It feels out of place. And there's another podcast that I like, and they covered the movie. And I'm going to borrow their turn of phrase of what happens in it, is that it's a rape scene. But then she goes along with it because the dick is just that good. And that's what this movie is, is... trying to say that's what they're borrowing from like it is so and i'd actually say it's more out of place in basic instinct because it's with the gene triple horn character and there is no sexual like gameplay between them whereas here here they're trying to make the argument that it's murky that is this just part of their role play Yes. No. Mm. It's all the same, right? Yeah. Like this is just I, I, what that's I, yeah. building like, to. Are the
2: handcuffs Chekhov's gun, basically, because they're so prominent, or like what you know, what and is I, it?
0: I think that's what they're trying to do. Is that it? Doesn't really understand what it's saying about kink or sexual boundaries. And yeah. I say this is someone who wrote a whole movie that is about sexual boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, you know,
1: it, it's. I think. I think if if I'm glad I don't know this statistic is, uh, but it, it's it's uh, you know. I wonder how many, you know, kind of rapey individuals, uh, erotic thrillers of the 90s created with scenes like this, mm-hmm. you know, where it's especially because it's the good man. It's the good character mm-hmm. where some woman has pushed him just too far.
0: It's the and hero. And he's going to
1: show show his frustration, you know. And I was saying to to Amanda, you know, it's like, you know, growing up with zero education in a small Welsh seaside town, um, uh, uh, sex education and, uh, you know, and, and in terms of things like, you know, terms like enthusiastic consent and stuff like that, they just weren't existing. So it's like, it, it's, you know, there was nothing in between consensual sex and a man, you know, dragging a woman into an alleyway holding a knife, you know, so the thought where, you know, really you've got this guy who's, who's basically you know the hero turns into a rapist it's it's not seen that way in these films Mm -hmm. um and these filmmakers you know writers anyone involved with this you know obviously they're almost exclusively male and they also would be just be you know incredibly irresponsible Mm -hmm. with all of this oh yeah
0: if if my intimacy coordinator were reading a script where that happened their immediate response would be yep i saw that coming because it's such a trope. It's not earned. Why the fuck are you doing this? What are you trying to say with the scene? I I don't want to work on this project, but I also think you need to rewrite it. Because what are you what is your point here? You know, this you have to have a purpose with this. It, it cannot be to spur on a male lead or or to be punishment to our female lead no fucking way.
2: And they just kind of go on throughout the rest of the movie, not really acknowledging it,
0: mm-hmm. it's, which it is was, what basic instinct does as well. Yeah,
2: it's definitely a power play. And it but like it really didn't even shift that dynamic. I mean, Madonna didn't seem like she batted an eye afterwards, you know, so it was weird. It really took me out of the movie. Um, I thought she was going to try to kill him. I wasn't expecting the rape. I was like, holy shit. And that's where it just really fell for me. because, and and that's
0: when you want her to try to kill him. Because now you say, I don't care if she killed the other guy. And this is also where we, and a lot of older movies do this. One of the most glaring examples I would actually say is the most dangerous game from the 30s is that we don't treat rape in movies as something that women are legitimately terrified of. We we treat it as like a ha-ha, it's going to happen. and. And this and this is also why I like writing so much about female rage. Because we are fucking pissed off. Like, for fuck's sake, you, you don't get to throw that trope around or that threat around as as something light. Like, it gets thrown around in the most dangerous game as, well, I'll kill the man, but the woman is my prize to do with. And then she doesn't get to be a character and it doesn't give it any gravity to say no. I want her to slit his throat and hang him by his balls now. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't treat it as something that is a legitimate fear that women have on a daily fucking basis. It's just like a hmm, it's punishment cuz she was such a
2: whore. 90s were a weird time, man.
0: 90s were really <laughs> weird. It was a really weird. really toxic.
2: Oh boy. Okay, well I'll transition to the to the final question I have just so we don't have <laughs> to talk about that terrible terrible act. Um, so the ending of this movie, it feels empty, and we touched on this earlier as we were kind of talking, right? You know, we get this twist, or if you want to call it a twist, then there's some action and a little bit of shoving and a lot of falling over and stuff, and then not much else, right? Madonna gets shot, she falls in the water, and then the cops show up, and it just felt like the film's denouement was just unmotivated, ambiguous, and it felt like it forgot everything that happened in the past. Uh, so Frank gets to go home to his wife like nothing happened, like everything was yep. OK. Uh, Frank was just involved with his um, with his client who just got off of murder and now she's murdered. Like, uh, why isn't he going to the police station is, is my question. There's so many questions that I had for a movie that's not very good. And I'm just like, why am I thinking about this?
0: <laughs> well, it's because the homewrecker has to be punished for the the good nuclear family. Right to come back together. It's the same end of fatal attraction. That's exactly how it ends.
2: Yeah. It was it was just a lot. It was it was all over the place and I guess I mean, how did you guys feel about this ending?
1: Um <laughs> God, I mean, you know, the, the, the ending in a way is is sort of in step with, you know, the, the number of surprise witnesses that they, they call. <laughs> oh, no, we forgot
2: about this one witness because he was on vacation. So.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. This witness was on vacation. Yeah, skeletal was, yeah. was doing, you know.
2: He was fighting was, He-Man. Was off
1: doing, yeah, he was fighting He-Man or, or, or fucking He-Man. Um, but um, uh, yeah, no, no. No, it's yeah, but th- 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 that would be a, a much more interesting movie. Is, yeah, you know, the really prequel, right. the prequel with like Madonna and Skeletor. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I think, th- I mean, you know, to if if we're dealing with you know, well, it kind of you know things get a little hairy for the hero, but you know, ultimately his his uh, punishment of Madonna's going to go fine, and um, you know, and then there's he's going to also, if, if especially if we're dealing with that the, the the, the writer and the male director and everybody else is viewing themselves as the hero, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's the writer's alter ego, all this kind of stuff. Then of course he gets away, you know, of course he gets to punish the woman and it wasn't really rape. And also, you know, his his now that he's had his fun little adventure, um, his, you know, loyal wife is gonna take him back at the yep. end. Yeah. She's waiting at the end of the dock. She the was wrong she for leaving there? him.
2: She was in the wrong for leaving him, mm-hmm. of course, naturally. Oh, and nat- also
1: he has a he has a kid who's in what, one, two scenes and then the kid just <laughs> <Yeah>. disappears. <Yep. laughs> the kids the kids fucked off to summer camp for the rest of the film. Well no no no. Like, I, I a-
0: think what the film is implying is that it's um his stepson. So the kid is sent to his mm. dads, his bio dads. It's a stepson. Really? Yeah, it's definitely a that stepson.
1: That kid, that kid is really good casting to be I know. Willem Dafoe's fucking kid. But also, <laughs> kid. he and
0: the kid have more familial chemistry than he ever has chemistry with Madonna. Yeah,
1: that's
0: everybody a problem. Has I know better.
1: Chemi- I mean, you know, that, that Willem Dafoe and Joe Mantegna have a, have an exchange at the end where you're like, oh, that, that, that they have buddy cop chemistry yeah. better yep. than he had erotic. Chem- everybody has better chemistry with everybody else in this film. <laughs> There's a moment where Willem Dafoe, like, you know. His his other you know supporting black um, oh yeah
0: colleague Stand with Shaw, no
1: backstory yeah. Stan Shaw there's a moment where Stan Shaw has found the erotic video of oh. of Anna Archer <laughs> and William Dafoe like kisses him because he's so grateful he's like yeah, yeah. get off that has more chemistry yeah, that does that that sloppy kiss has more chemistry than than anything it Dafoe does. has but yeah with Ma- Madonna
0: <laughs> Madonna's like death and murder at the end of this movie absolves Frank. Is I think what this movie oh, is, and boy. it's Ugh. so disgusting. Literally and, and washes it, away so... his sins. Mm-hmm. Literally, yeah. She falls, falls in, in the, the water. water. It is. It's so regressive, mm. and also, she should not be guilty. It, the fact that the crime is stupid is one thing, but it is yeah. also saying that if she is actually guilty, which is what this movie is telling us, then everything that they're positing about women who are kinky loose women women who like having sex is that they are dangerous and Mm -hmm. they are duplicitous and they are out to get you and not that she is just being put on trial for her sex life which is what it should be about is that she is just an innocent woman being put on trial for her sex life when no crime was committed and being railroaded by a conservative justice system but really it's Nope, she's a whore.
1: It's a modern-day Salem, Salem a witch whore. trial. Modern-day yeah. Salem witch Well, trial. To, to be fair, I think she conspired, the idea was that she conspired with Jürgen Prochnow to- yeah. uh, Which is so to, boring,
0: because do we care about the him? guy
1: to death. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he literally was there. I mean, you know, he was obviously going to be some kind of villainous presence, either that or a red herring, because he's played, you know, villains yeah. in the past. <laughs> um, but if she was
0: going to have a partner, it should have been Anne Archer.
1: That would have been good, but that, that would have been
0: more interesting. That
1: would have been more interesting, exactly. And th- admittedly, then you could have had the trope of the e- evil lesbians conspiring. Well, it'll you know, it would be the evil bisexual, it,
0: but yeah, yeah,
1: evil bisexual. But it still would have been more interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, it's also it's also that she does things at the end where it's like she just goads, she goads mm-hmm. the, the two men, yeah. one of whom has a gun, and one of whom has like, already reached her. This character her. was supposed to be smart, yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, this definitely, you know, if if the whole thing reads as something that was either hastily written or hastily dusted off from a drawer... The ending, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, reads as a tacked on Mm -hmm. rewritten Mm -hmm. ending, possibly by a different writer where it's like, okay, we need we need a bit of uh, excitement at the end. And we also need Madonna to die. So we're going to do this, this and this. Oh, that doesn't really keep in character with anything else. Fuck it. Nobody, everyone, you know, maybe people will watch the end of this without knowing how we got here because they would have fast forwarded (laughs) through all the talky bits to just watch the sex scenes. So, again, I think it's the same mentality. Boobs. Boo. <laughs> oh, boo! Oh, I was going to say boo. I said boo. Just boo. <laughs> but yeah, I guess. I guess this film is like a large boo for me, with a small b and an s on the end. It's ending. true.
2: I agree with that. I, I'm going to jump to my hot take because it's actually about the ending of this movie. Now, when mm. when Madonna. Uh, says you know after the trial and this trope has been done in film before at the end of the trial is like thank you for you know you almost convinced me or something like that basically she mm. did it she knew what she was doing I thought the movie should have ended there I think that would have yep. been a great way to end it where you're like she got away with it right Um now, let's say you you don't want to do that. You want to end it on the houseboat. Cool, you end on the houseboat. Now, my mind, and I gave this film too much credit, my mind was like, they're not showing who she's talking to. Madonna is setting up Frank because she's probably recording something and is having this conversation and is going to pin it on Frank. And like That's Frank's going to end smart. up trying to kill. I know, right? Hey, like trying hey. to kill Madonna and something would happen. And then they don't do that. Then I'm like, okay. And then what Peter's saying where, you know, it's like she's playing these two men to potentially kill each other. I'm like, maybe that's what she's trying to do. And then no, she doesn't do that. So
0: again, this that movie
2: would be too smart. This movie had opportunities and, and and it was teed up for it, but I don't know what the hell happened in the ending. I, really lost it for me. And I think that that is is, is the biggest crime other than the rape scene. They should have taken that out completely. But that is the biggest crime of this movie is there were, you had a a kind of a a piece of crap film, but you could have shined it up a little bit at the end. And it still would have been like, okay, I, I was cool with that twist. But unfortunately it fell very flat. So that's my hot take. Um do you guys have any hottest takes on uh this movie, on movies of this genre, on actors, on whatever? Um I know we've given a few already, but Peter if you want to want to uh, throw one down. Uh,
1: I I guess I I I refer back to exhibit uh, B for Brad Meerman um earlier on. My hot take is is that he's he's a slight he's a better writer than you would think. Uh but and and my reference for that is exhibit C for Christopher Lambert. Uh, which is Night Moves. Um, And you can't get that anywhere, but someone uploaded it to YouTube for free. So if you look up Night Moves with a K, 1992, uh, it's on YouTube currently before someone takes it down. Um, (laughs) It's really quite an interesting movie. And it also... Uh, features the ravishing Diane Lane um, mm. and talented Diane Lane and Tom Skerritt as the dogged detective. Oh, so, again, people who can act. Yeah. Yeah, people who can act, uh, people who can act better. Uh, everything about it is better. It's better shot, it's better written, and it has a fantastic score by Anne Dudley, who also scored The Crying Game. So, um, yeah, I, that, that's my take is, is, is hot take is Brad Meerman's a slightly better writer than you you think from this movie and go see Night Moves uh, for, for Noir of Ember as a companion piece to this.
2: <laughs> There's a palate cleanser to this. <laughs> mm. Okay, I like it. Amanda, what's your hot take? I'm
0: trying to think of a hot take that is actually a hot take because it's not a hot take to say Madonna can't act in this movie. Mm, yeah. That's definitely not a hot take. Um, or did it just, um, I don't think it's a good example, particularly of an erotic thriller. Um, I don't think it's as sexy as it could be, you know? The, the scenes feel really clinical when you actually rewatch them, and the lack of chemistry takes away so much that they just, they have no connection, and to really sell those scenes, you need to feel like those two people want to fuck each other. And mm-hmm. I don't.
1: I've got, okay, how about this? This is less of a hot take maybe than a reimagining as to, to you know, to like, let's make the film hotter. <laughs> let's imagine it has a good script yeah. and let's recast, you know, the lead roles. Who would you cast where you think, okay, this, this, this would have chemistry and, and these would be more appropriate. Because we've Who established that William Dafoe, Oh, who would I cast? Okay, well, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, who would be a good example of, of um, well, you, I think you'd want to make it more diverse. I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. trying to think like you, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, uh, 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 off the top of my head, like mid-2000s, like Lucy Liu. Um, mm. Drew Barrymore? Drew Barrymore? uh well, but she did kind of poison ivy yeah. in the 90s and you oh she's still I'm too young to, yeah um I, like- I don't know Christine, christina hendrix yeah. right from mad men mm-hmm. like imagine you know someone with with um uh so you've got christina Hendricks; she could totally smash it and um you know she she actually i think she's friends like that with ryan gosling they've done two movies together they have good chemistry um, I don't know if they'd have good erotic chemistry, but I know that he's done a hapless guy who ends up defending a case and getting duped with that film Fracture with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, and he did quite well in that. So you could have Gosling or you could have, I don't know, Mark Ruffalo. Mark oh, Ruffalo is someone he, you know, he, who he looks has like, a, he, he's likable, but he looks like, you know what? I've, I've only ever read about kink. I've never done any of it.
0: yeah. He has as that believable to everyman m- thing.
1: Mr. Walking uh s- a BDSM store w- Willem Dafoe. Um Willem Dafoe I could cast as the Jürgen Proshnow character. Um like I, I might, think he'd yeah. be better suited as Alan Paley if that was the guy's mm-hmm. name. It was. I can't um, believe you
0: remembered that. Because I did um, not.
1: <laughs> um or you know, or like if you wanted to if you've got you or you've got look like, like let's say you've got Lucy Lou. Um I'm trying to think uh uh I don't know John Boyega you uh, if you want to uh, mm. modern you've got John Boyega and maybe um uh ooh, uh the 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 one who was like married to Tom Cruise or was almost going to be married to Tom Cruise and had a life fucked over Nanzine Bonandi uh like stunning like um Iranian American actress uh like if we want to go diverse her and John Boyega um steaming up the screen again you know you never know if these Oscar people going to have Isaac. Good chemistry Oscar, Oscar Isaac, Isaac is
0: good with the chemistry. But then you could just have Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain, and we already know they have great oh, yeah. chemistry.
1: Yeah, you could do that. Mm-hmm.
0: That would be amazing.
2: I think Fossbender and then, Michael Fossbender would be really good as well, too,
1: as in the Willem Defoe. He's role. he's he's too potentially kinky, don't you think, mm-hmm. though? Like, I am uh, not sure if I'd believe him as being
0: I, 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 vanilla I'm I, too I, problematic as a real person for me to want to put in this kind of movie. Uh,
1: eh.
2: Vigo Mortensen?
0: Ooh, but he's too kinky. Possibly. He he screams kink. See, I, just like, I guess I'm, kind of I'm missing the. Of I'm missing there, the yeah. screaming
2: yeah. kink thing. So I I guess I I don't um, see it, but yeah, it's it's like a um, man who
0: looks dangerously sexual. Like he could throw you on a bed and do dirty things to you, well, but in a good he, way. You kind of
2: have that too in a history of violence, like that sex. Yes, scene on exactly. The stairs.
0: It's too kinky. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he so he would be too believable as a as a as a kinkmeister. Mm-hmm. Then, whereas Mark Ruffalo has this kind of soft side, which is why he was cast as Bruce Banner. Which mm-hmm. is, oh, this guy's adorable, mm-hmm. you know. So that's the kind of thing where you can imagine that a woman would seduce him and throw him around, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, who who else is that? Um, I think uh, uh, the wife to be believably boring. I think he's married to Helen Hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, sorry. Sorry, Helen Hunt, but you know, to, to to Helen Hunt and um and he is who else? And then the Anna Archer character um could be, you know, again, maybe rewriting it so that it's it's the femme fatale is is in league with with Anna Archer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's who's that, Linda Cardellini. I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, yes. Oh.
2: She you
0: is know? hot. I, yes, that's good.
2: So I like what you were saying with Diane Lane, too, because she was w- with Richard Gere in Unfaithful in 2002. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Diane Lane is just hey. fantastic. And I think that that would be I see both of them, too, in this role as well. Or, I mean, you could even gender swap, too, if we're if we're talking remake or whatever. Um, but then I think that kind of that throws around 50 the shades. What? Yeah, that's and that's what I was getting at. I think you can make it smarter than that, though, because Fifty Easily. Shades. Easily. Yeah. So. But.
0: But oh. actually, it could be interesting to gender swap. Mm hmm. Actually, but actually, I think then you really would need a, a woman writing it from yeah. more of a perspective of female sexuality mm-hmm. and from that idea of, I'm really tired of the virgin trope, the she's never had sex. No, let her have had sex, but maybe this is something different, that's yeah. so a different kind of sexual exploration than than just what she's used to, because I'm real fucking tired of the... She's never had sex until him because he's the only man who can show her how it's done. <laughs> or but you God. have t- you
1: have two women, right? You have Kerry Washington mm. uh, married to a perfectly nice normal dude who's, you know, perfectly nice suburban dad. You know, they have sex when they can, but, you know, he's tired because he works in construction. And, uh, and then she defends Christina Hendricks and they just start going at it.
0: I like um, that. I like that version. And it's smoky
1: dokey hot. But
0: then, but but Christina Hendricks isn't actually guilty. We play it up like she is, and you think she mm. is, but she's not guilty at the end. And the two women end up together.
1: Yeah, the two women ended up together. Mm-hmm. And the real killer is Skeletor like- because Frank Langella, we'd still cast the same guy. It's still Skeletor. He's over
2: there in the corner of the courtroom.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's over there in the corner of the courtroom. It's still Skeletor. He's got his makeup
2: on and everything. The- <laughs> he did say, I'll be critic. back at the end of it. <laughs>
0: that's what we'll credit him as oh boy yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah cool. well you guys those are all the questions i have on body of evidence so let's go to letter grade amanda what do you give body of evidence
0: d minus
2: Ooh, not even an f it means you like it just a little bit
0: still, d minus it's still pretty bad. D. <laughs> it's
2: still pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> peter what about you
1: Oh, my Lord. Um, D D for don't watch again. Um, E for excrement. I don't know.
2: Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's a D. I don't know. It's a a D minus for me as
1: well.
0: Yeah. It's watchable enough to not be an F. Yeah. But it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination.
1: I, we'll yeah. put it this way. I think. I think. I think it's a two-watch movie. It's a watch when you're 13, you know, yeah. to, for, mm-hmm. for for the VHS phase of your life, pre-internet, and then it's a watch once with a with a friend, you know, to, <laughs> to laugh at it. it.
0: Yeah, I think we had it's a two, great, two, watch, two we, watches. We would agree. two commentary. watches are done now. Yeah, we, yeah. Had, a, we had a great commentary track. Yeah. You know, I think our dialogue was was better and more cohesive than the script. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes yeah it definitely was like you know the the mystery science theater of erotic oh, threes, you know, oh of, or a riff, a riff you know. tracks yes it was <laughs> yes it was. <laughs> it was that was a good riff track that's yeah. incredible it
0: was, it was. We with some great some great comments <laughs> peter then that bedroom that i was staying in that had the body of evidence like dead spread
1: <laughs> oh that that was the other thing is that is that we, we were at this airbnb where the host decided you know the the that there would be fun, fun. You know how, like an Airbnb, they have little things like what was it you particularly liked, and yeah. it has thoughtful touches. Is one of the thing boxes you can tick. Well, the thoughtful touches here were that there was a a, a parrot, like a cuddly parrot, um, that was dressed like a, a hobo drunk. You know, with a straw hat and a and a plastic cocktail glass and a hawaiian shirt so that was one thoughtful touch and and then the the other the other thoughtful touch was that um, amanda's uh, bedroom was kitted out like a 90s erotic thriller with black satin oh wow um you know it really was and oh and there were also under the tv but uh, you know i thought it would be better oh, to move yeah. them into her room were like safety candles so underneath body of evidence you with the actual look- candles were were these these plastic you know safety candles um uh (laughs) oh uh, that's uh, what you want to talk about a hot take i don't know if this is a hot take or or a or a a gross take but a gross take is what she's drinking she's drinking a mixture of champagne and wax yeah that was she's licking she's licking champagne and (laughs) wax off his body it's disgusting but like the weird licking
0: thing was really gross so and, and the hot. other thing is
1: that, you know, there are so many things that have been parodied like nine and a half weeks, mm-hmm. you know, thing is parodied in hot shots. You know, it's like, how come, how come no one ever parodied like someone licking champagne and wax off a guy's body and then going, <laughs> you
0: know? Oh God, that was gross. That really,
1: Do
0: was... you know what I mean? Like, can
1: you imagine like, I don't know, Kristen Wig is there like licking off someone's body and then going, I didn't think this through, you know?
0: It's one of her SNL characters.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, erotic thriller lady who didn't plan ahead but there's a it's like the girl you wish you never started a conversation with at this party it's like erotic thriller lady who, who didn't think, or, didn't or can think this rachel, one through.
0: rachel Dratch's debbie downer
1: oh i love that yeah.
0: one <laughs> 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 so good.
2: um peter thank you so much for being on the show what are you working on and where can we find you on social media
1: well, it's funny you ask, uh, because, uh, uh here in the chat is the, uh, uh the trailer for my, uh, for, for a podcast. Um, there is yes. Little messagey thing to the side. You don't have that? No, I do. I, I just thing.
0: never noticed there it.
1: We go. <laughs> ah, there we go. Well, it's I, I I suppose it's kind of redundant for a podcast because it's like, what are you going to do? Pass messages, secret messages to each yeah. other that everyone can see. Uh, but anyway, there's so so. What I did was um, I do have a podcast, but it's a, a bit different to uh, 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 a lot of podcasts out there where it's you know obviously real people talking about cool things like this one. Um, uh, what I've done is uh, I've, I've created a sort of an audio drama mini miniseries uh, where um, I basically have done a comedy prequel to Die Hard um, about Hans Gruber and how he got to uh, be in L.A. and got the idea for um, uh, the heist on Nakatomi Plaza and. Um, because you know, as as well, a, a very famous po- podcast script notes. Uh, as I was writing this, they did a, a podcast on Die Hard, and they said, you know, from his point of view, it's Ocean's Eleven, you know, and there could be a whole movie about how he got the team together. And I was like, well, I'm writing that right now. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so so it's um it's a it's a it's a podcast about Hans Gruber and how he put together his team, but it's sort of told from a, a comic perspective. And as you as you might guess, I, I, being a, a lifelong sort of Rick maniac, I um, have, uh, I, I play Hans because obviously I don't look anything like Rickman, but I can sound like him. Um, and then I have a wonderful international cast of actors who uh, take themselves remotely from all around the world, from uh, LA, New York, Boston, uh, New Zealand, wales london um you know all over the place i have these fantastic actors um playing a variety of parts both recognizable characters from die hard and completely new characters i wrote for the series um in addition to that we have a talky podcast called hands on where we talk (laughs) where we talk about um uh, memories of die hard and memories of the 80s And what's brilliant about that is that because it's an international cast, I have different cast members on and it turns out growing up in eighties, New Zealand was completely different to growing up in eighties Wales, which was completely different to growing up in eighties, New York. And even that was different growing up in eighties, Miami. So
2: cocaine uh, everywhere.
1: (laughs) I know there's all kinds of, there's so, so it's, it's just brilliant to, to hear about people's experiences. And so, What started off as a love of Rickman and Die Hard and a love letter to him and that movie has sort of expanded into, hey, remember in the 80s when this happened? And, uh, you you know, um, and different people had different hits, you know, in their charts, which the rest of the world didn't hear. (laughs) It was only big in that one country. So, so, uh, but yeah, so, so come, come for the Die Hard and the Hans Gruber and stay for the uh, 80s banter. Love it. Is how I would plug that. But I think it's what is it? It's like you know your typical BBC miniseries. I think it's uh, is it five episodes, six episodes of of uh, of drama. Uh, it, look, it looks um, a little bit
2: longer for the I, I,
1: dramedy. Yeah, yeah, I just
2: uh, followed it on um, Apple Podcasts. And it looks like there's quite a few episodes, but yeah, this looks great. I'm excited <laughs> for this.
1: Yeah, it's fun. That's the idea. Is that it's hopefully a sort of a it's a basically a, a, a you know an action an action comedy. With some serious moments thrown in, um, and and if you think about Die Hard, there's so much backstory given um, in these kind of newscasts, and then, you know, where he it, it, it you know it says he was a member of a radical group in Germany before, you know, basically becoming a capitalist thief. Uh so it gets into that. And then also in Die Hard Three, Jeremy Irons shows up as his brother. And Jeremy I'm like, okay, that's that <laughs> that is a an awkward um family dinner that <laughs> I want to be at. So that's what happens in episode one is we get to see Hans and Simon Gruber sort of antagonizing each other with their their mother being disapproving of both of them. Um <laughs> And hopefully also I've, I've included like, I've had, I had to write them, but I've included like a lot more strong female characters because Die Hard basically just had Holly McLean and that was it. Um, so yeah, so have, have a listen, have a listen. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun listen. I hope. So the podcast is, is called Old Habits, the rise of Hans, because Old Habits obviously comes before Die Hard. And this is a prequel. So again, that's Old Habits, the rise of Hans. And, um, uh, on uh, on instagram that's at rise of hans and uh hans gruber is also on uh twitter uh, uh formerly twitter where he gets into dust-ups with republicans and um uh, usually sort of tries to talk sense into them using the hashtag hansplaining
2: i love die hard <laughs> die hard one two three so good um. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was this was a hoot. Thank you uh, for having yeah, me. Yeah. You can come back anytime. We can chat up whatever movie. Love um. Yeah. Amanda and I. We we go round and round with whatever we whatever we kind of want to watch. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Can we can we pick a good one next? Yeah. Time? <laughs> this hey this okay. is one hundred
2: percent on Amanda. So.
1: Okay, please. <laughs> please, Peter,
0: Peter. Do you know why I picked this one?
1: Um. Uh. Because because it's like well perfectly good moment was good and i want to i want to plug my own movie in comparison to one that's awful
0: no it was because of our walmart conversation when we got lost in the walmart in florida
1: what happened there what did we say i can't imagine how a conversation in walmart would be like oh you know what this reminds me of it's body of Ever. hot
2: wax and champagne (laughs) yeah
1: oh okay. that was it we got lost in the hot wax and champagne there open. you go
2: yeah those are right next to each other right next to the garden hoses yeah. and the dog food so. Be-
0: because we were having a conversation about filming intimacy scenes and you brought up willem defoe's comments about this one.
1: Oh, that's right that's yeah because it, this was this was it was the first interview i heard where an actor actually admitted to enjoying it every other interview was like oh no it's horrible it's horrible to film sex scenes and you know defoe was the first person was like i don't know i kind (laughs) of like it (laughs) i'm somewhat of a scientist
0: myself that's (laughs) that's why i I pitched it and asked you on for this no
1: (laughs) i created a podcast monster that's okay
2: it's uh, a a it it's it's still it's still good to talk about these types of films too because they're cautionary tales to anyone out there who might be scrolling to be and is <laughs> yeah. like oh body of evidence I like Madonna I like her albums but stay away people stay away
0: just just listen yeah. to the music watch the music videos they go. are sexier than this movie
1: read the book this isn't even a Madonna B-side no. this is a <laughs> no. you know this is this is a deleted album track that was deleted for a reason
2: <laughs> deleted for a reason Amanda mm. we know what you're working on but what else can you tell us about about it and then where can we find you on the socials
0: um well actually the thing that obviously as i said perfectly good moment is is on the festival circuit we are wrapping up for the year because the holidays are starting soon and the festivals end and then we'll see what happens next year uh we will hopefully come out sometime early next year uh fingers crossed um we have good reason to believe we will um (laughs) and I am currently, actually, Peter and I are currently working together on a short um, about a woman who inherits an animal sanctuary in Florida and gives up her corporate New York City life to go run this animal sanctuary. That's just Peter wrote and is directing it. It's it's a hilarious script. I'm producing it. We are both also in it. Peter plays the, like, debauched son of a David Attenborough type, and I... (laughs) Play the wife of a televangelist who oh, wow. has an affair with Peter's character.
1: Yeah, this is based on a concept by uh, Felicia Greenfield, our, our, our producer, our executive producer, who's also uh, plays the lead. And, and um, she basically came to me saying, um, I want you to, could you write something about an animal sanctuary and I'm in it. And also there needs to be a um, a bark mitzvah, which is no a, a, a Jewish but remember- festival for...
0: When we were shooting, we had to not show any of the actual branding that the the real sanctuary has cuz it looks too good cuz it's like they have these really nice mugs mm. and they have t-shirts and they yeah, have banners. That's true. And we're like, yeah. no, this makes it look like they know what they're doing. Yes. This is clearly like they've thought about this. This has been branded. These mugs are adorable. We can't like we can't use these. It has to look like it's just yeah, one woman who has no to, idea what's needed- going on.
1: It needed to look a lot more ramshackle, you know, in terms of its presentation, which is why, you know, they hire the the um, layabout son of a fictional version of David Attenborough to be their compensated spokesperson mm-hmm. because he he he's all they can afford and the only person in Florida who's nearby, and and he's you know just gotten out of jail after you know sort of basically stalking his his lover, who's, who's Amanda's character, who's the wife of a televangelist. So um, I, I love it because it's not the sort of thing that I, I would have come up with on my own as an individual story. So Felicia came up with it and then, you know, so it was a, it was great fun to sort of write a script based on, you know, I never would have thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna write a screenplay about an animal sanctuary.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so funny though. But I know we both say that we're like, we're both a little darker and, and more twisted <laughs> in what we, we generally write and, and gravitate towards.
1: This is one of two scripts I've written that doesn't have a body count. You know, it's it's like everybody I mean, I would like to think in future episodes maybe a couple of people kick the bucket because it's Florida.
0: Oh and, yeah. You know, maybe you, someone you can't gets really write something
1: eaten by the eaten gator. By a gator. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Maybe There's Roger. Yeah. <laughs> or he just like loses a, a limb to the gator.
1: Well, Selwyn Reese is gonna die at one point. That's definitely <laughs> gonna happen.
0: Well, he did retire yeah from from what um, street whatever anyway street. there's a lot of
1: off off screen characters we're talking about now that make like, no sense is, to anybody nobody yeah so you, you feel free to cut this out of the pod <laughs> um it's all pointless yeah um, i
0: am i'm still on all the socials at amanda jane stern so that's instagram and the thing formerly known as twitter <laughs> well uh,
1: yes yeah. i'm i'm uh at peter the stray uh and stray's my real name by the way it's not a showbiz name um <laughs> But I, one of my ancestors, I guess, just just got tempted and, um, you know, Strayed. uh, or or got lost. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So at Peter the Stray on Instagram for me, and then you know, you know, yeah, I've got a weird name, so it's kind of easy to find me.
0: I don't have a weird name. That's why I use my middle name.
1: There you there go. We go.
2: Well, all right, you guys. It's been a ton of fun, a lot of a lot of laughs, a lot of what have you is because that's all you can really do for this kind of movie. So. Um, everyone else, thank you so much for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter and threads at dbcrazypod and at zachdale 60 where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us if we are crazy, or just send funny memes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave us a five-star review if you like it. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening and until next time, don't be crazy.